Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Martial Arts Podcast brought to you by ESPN Plus, the home of UFC 255. I'm Jake Litarski, joined today as always by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Roto Jake. Today we're going to be making our biggest picks for the biggest fights at UFC 255. That's Davison Figueredo against Alex Perez. Uh, before we jump in, I want to mention an awesome promo we're running with our friends at ESPN+. Plus. If you sign up through the links on our site, you get a free month of Rotowire that's full service, all sports, all DFS tools. Just go to rotowire.com slash subscribe and locate the ESPN Plus promo option on the bottom, or if you already have an account, click on subscribe now in the top right to begin. John, been about a month since we last spoke here. Uh, we've had the crazy Habib win and ensuing retirement, light white title pictures wide open, um, and then also the light heavyweight title picture is uh, is in limbo a little bit. Of course, we've got Jan Blakovich uh, taking over here. Should he fight Glover Teixeira? Should he fight Israel Adesanya? Uh, a lot of things out left there to talk about. Any storylines uh, hit you or you got any takes there? You know, that, that one's interesting. I think you could probably go either way. I guess from a pure mixed martial arts standpoint, I'd probably rather see Bukovic fight Adesanya. Um, it's hard to say that Teixeira doesn't deserve it. He's won five fights in a row. And this is a guy who not all that long ago certainly looked like he was on the decline. Um, but then if you go big picture, Teixeira turned th- 41 years old next month. So, for example, even if he got his shot at Bukovic early next year and did win, the odds of him ever retaining over you know multiple title defenses is really small. So as far as like the good of the company, I think it's probably Adesanya. Although if you want to just talk about sheer argument for what's best for a division, it's probably Teixeira. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Adesanya one definitely does a lot more buys. He's a he's a budding superstar in the division. You know, the MMA purist will, will want to see the Teixeira fight, let him fight, give him his last chance at a title, basically, and then, you know, who knows how much he'll try to defend it afterwards. But um, So it'll be interesting to see what the UFC wants to do. Of course, the whole Adesanya moving up a belt surprised me a little bit. Um, and then I thought, oh, well, if uh, Adesanya becomes champ, then they can just run it back with Bones to get his belt back. And maybe that's what they're thinking is going to happen here. I thought Bones was putting on weight to go to heavyweight. So there's a lot here going on in those two divisions. There definitely is. And uh, we're kind of still at the point, I think, where with COVID and everything, you don't really know what's going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. these are all tentative plans. And there seems to be a lot of fights, understandably, that are really falling apart right now. So until there's a vaccine and all that, it's kind of just nothing just tentative you know there's nothing we've seen fights canceled all the time for covid reasons and injury reasons so even yeah. if a fight does get made that doesn't mean that it's going to be the fight that eventually happens yeah yeah i'm glad you brought that up that's an excellent transition because we are back in vegas for ufc 255 vegas compared to fight island i mean vegas has been an absolute disaster you got people testing positive left and right bad weight cuts it seems like fight island is very it's very regimented and that's helped the fighters in a way you have to meet you know, in Vegas at this point, then you fly to Abu Dhabi, you know, then you do your quarantine for a couple of days, get your until your test is clear, you know, and you're getting tested periodically. They can kind of snuff out a lot of those positive tests by having a little bit more regiment there. But uh, it doesn't seem to quite be the case in Vegas. You know, last last week was supposed to be a 12 fight card. We ended up with with 10 after a couple fights got scrapped, a couple good ones got scrapped. And that really makes things difficult on DraftKings players right now, though. Uh, we've got a 12 fight card here uh, starting with a flyweight championship, well, two flyweight championships, I should say. Devison Figueiredo against Alex Perez. Figueiredo, 9,000 on DraftKings. Perez, 7,200. Figueiredo, the current champ, is a minus 300 betting favorite. Uh, Perez, plus 250 betting underdog. The odds to finish on this are minus 475. They're changing a little bit, but when I looked at the odds to finish marks the other day, 10 of the 12 fights were, uh, were there, or I should say, there were only two fights plus money to go the distance here. So it looks like there's going to be a lot of finishes. We have the smaller cage, which generally supply, uh, suggests a lot more finishes, especially when it comes to the smaller weight classes like flyweight. So I guess, John, you know, I think we're both going to be on the same page with this fight. But uh, I guess talk about Devison Figueroa, his path to get here. Um, you know, could he get value at 9,000 on DraftKings and I guess his chances of getting a finish? Well, you're right. I mean, minus 475 is a massive number for a flyweight fight to finish. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, the general rule is the lower the weight class, the more likely it is to see the final belt for obvious reasons. Heavyweights hit harder, all that kind of stuff. Um, this was scheduled to be Figueiredo and Cody Garbrandt. Um, Garbrandt tore a bicep and had to withdraw. There's no doubt that a Garbrandt fight would have um, done a better pay-per-view buy rate simply because he's much better known than Perez. But um, when you actually look at it, Perez is a much more deserving choice. Uh, Garbrandt was one in four, is one in three in his past four fights. He's never had a professional fight at flyweight. So um, you know, I'm a pretty big believer that you shouldn't just be handing out title shots. You know, just because of name value and it's hard to not only it'd be one thing if Cody was racking it up at bantamweight and then decide to drop down. You know, he's been struggling. So to drop him down and just hand him a title shot would have been ridiculous. But um, the story of this fight is definitely Figueiredo, um, who has really quickly established himself as one of the best fighters in the UFC in any division. Um, he fought Joseph Benavides twice recently. Um, he fought him this past February. Um and missed, uh, Figueiredo missed weight, thus he was ineligible to win the title. Um, he crushed Benavidez, knocked him out in just over a round. The two fought again this past July, um, at which point Benavidez was submitted by Figueiredo. And Figueiredo, obviously, that time since he made weight, won the belt. Um, he's a, The Brazilian is a legitimate, all-around, high-level mixed martial artist. He's fast. He has excellent power for a smaller guy and he's obviously really talented on the mat and this is a guy who i still i don't think is getting a lot of the publicity and the love he deserves he's just he's not a well-known fighter and i do think part of that is due to the fact that traditionally the smaller weight classes just don't get the same publicity that the higher weight classes do um i think part of that is just 
yeah, just in all sports, really. Uh, you know, if heavy the heavy, if you look at boxing, um, the you know heavyweights are what is always talked about. Um, same thing kind of goes in MMA. But Figueiredo is certainly talented enough to hold on to the belt for an extended period of time. This guy's totally legitimate. Um, Alex Perez, his challenger on Saturday, is an interesting fighter. He's kind of bounced between flyweight and bantamweight in his career. Um, his biggest problem by far is the fact that he has missed weight a half dozen times in his pro career, which in that, what that tells me is that the UFC didn't think they had any other options because throwing a guy who's missed weight in his career a half dozen times into the main event of a pay-per-view is extremely, extremely risky. If he misses weight on Friday, you're going to end up in the same exact situation where Perez, if the fight happens, you know, obviously, uh, where Perez isn't eligible to win the belt. Um, so that tells me that the UFC just didn't think they had any better options. Um, if you want to go to a common opponent type thing, um, Perez is 6-1 and one in the UFC. His only loss was at the hands of Joseph Benavidez, who I just mentioned. Mm. Figueiredo defeated twice. Yeah, and convincingly, uh, too. Those weren't close fights. No, they were not at all. And actually, the second fight, Figueiredo looked even better than the first. Um, he's legitimately getting better. Um, Perez is an inch taller. Figueiredo has a three-inch reach edge. And I think you're looking at something here where I think Perez will be somewhat competitive. Benavidez obviously, honestly, wasn't competitive in either of the two Figueiredo fights. I think Perez will probably do a bit better than that. Mm -hmm. But I'm really partial. When you get to a flyweight division, I'm really partial to guys that have legitimate power. There are not a lot of guys in the division with legitimate knockout power. That's just the, you know the size and the weight class the guys compete in. Figueiredo has that, and I think that is a big deal moving forward. When you have so many guys who look at even, even if you look at Demetrius Johnson, you know, the king of the flyweights forever, cardio was obviously off the charts, wrestling was great, but you know, no one would ever call Demetrius a power puncher. So, Figueiredo has something that most guys in the division do not have. Um, as far as looking at it from a DraftKings standpoint, I'm not particularly interested in. Perez is an underdog simply because I think his whole path to victory would be based around his wrestling. Um, and there is a little bit, uh, a little bit of room there. Um, Perez lands 3.03 takedowns per 15 minutes, which is obviously a solid number. And Figueiredo defends them at just 61%, which is, you know, slightly below average. But then the problem is if Perez does get Figueiredo to the mat, you're looking at a situation where Figueiredo's elite submission game can come into play. So again, you know, 9,000 is an expensive price tag. Um, I might, if I could, I might just fade this fight entirely. Um, but if you told me I had to pick one, I'd probably pick figure. I'm definitely picking figure to win. I'd probably pick him too at 9,000 and try and find some other way to work underdogs into my lineup. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 9,000, he's the third or the fourth most expensive fighter on this card. You've got Shevchenko at 9,600. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, Luis Koske is 9,300. Rodriguez, Daniel Rodriguez, I think is 9,100. Um, yeah. So again, you get a guy with his power for that. For the fourth highest uh, salary, I can try to live with that, and I think he's going to be. I'm going to have a decent amount of exposure with the lineups I decide to play here. I want to hit on a couple of points with his fight. One great blog post by uh, one of our former contributors, Richard A. Mann. I just put it on my Twitter. If you want to take a look at it, he goes into the stats here to really illustrate the power of Benavides. And I want to mention that uh, the average. Uh, so he knocked down Benavides twice, or Figueroa did the power of Figueroa. That's what I'm going for. He knocked down Benavides twice to give him eight knockdowns in his nine UFC fights. So his average knockdowns per 15 minutes of fight time. Um, well, I should start the average knockdowns per 15 minutes of fight time for ranked flyweights is 0.45 and Devison Figueroa's mark is 1.37 so uh, you know pretty much triple that mark uh so that and you know when you extrapolate some of those numbers out in other divisions I mean like he's right up there in terms of like Francis Ngannou when you talk about relative power the power is definitely there the finishing power is there which is wild because he only averages 2.8 significant strikes landed per minute so uh you can tell that he's very efficient and good at picking his shots and is very good at dialing in for the kill so I like him for the finish obviously Vegas likes him for the finish I think he's a great play on DraftKings uh the other thing that has to be talked about with this fight in general 
You kind of alluded to it with Perez is the weight cutting issues. I mean, Figueroa has in the past had some weight cutting issues of his own. Uh, the first fight between him and Benavidez, he missed weight. So even though he got the win, he couldn't become champion. That's why they needed the rematch in the first place, even though it wasn't really, you know, the result wasn't all that convincing. But Figueroa was able to uh, really cement that and, and leave no doubt out there. There's a tweet and a report from Brett Okamoto of ESPN today. Apparently, Figueroa has taken some of his winnings and invested them in his camp. So his nutritionist, all that kind of stuff. He told Brett Okamoto he's 136 pounds as of Tuesday, and normally he enters at about 143 pounds on fight week. So when you're looking at those small weight classes, that's seven pounds. You know, if he's being truthful, you never know if these guys are, 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 there's a little bit of gamesmanship here, but if he's being truthful, that's a big part. And you can expect him to have an easier weight cut. Um, I don't think that'll sap his power too much, but what it will help him will be in the later round of his fights and, you know, continuing that cardio through the pace because those guys that cut so much have a really, have a really tough time in general. And I would argue that if there is a path to victory for Perez, it's to outlast him, not get knocked out, and then really turn up the wrestling in rounds four and five and kind of cruise to a decision. That would be the path for Perez if there is one. I don't see that happening. I think Figueroa, like you said, is getting better, and he's only going to continue to get better, and I think that he's going to continue to widen the gap between him and the rest of the other flyweights. So I think the pick here easily for both of us is Figueroa, but I will say that Perez... There's an angle here on DraftKings if you want to get a little bit of exposure here because 4.68 significant strikes landed per minute. That you know that that's a solid amount even for these uh, lower weight class divisions. And he averages over a takedown per round. That's 3.03 per 15 minutes are the numbers there. So his volume striking in wrestling is is excellent. It's you know it's something that uh, in any other fight, especially in the smaller cage, you look at at Perez. So while the picks both. Uh, Figueroa, I think we got to ask, John, I mean, like in a hundred DraftKings lineups, you know, you kind of said you'd fade this fight, so you can be a little bit low on that. But I mean, how much exposure would you be looking to get with someone like Perez? Uh, probably I would still probably go like less than maybe 10%, mm -hmm. you know, although I would, I will, another thing in his favor is I imagine he's going to be extremely low owned. So, you know, that's that if you're one of those big GP tournament type players, that's something you can look at. Look, he, the, uh, everything in this fight seems about right to me. The odds, the, you know, the Vegas salaries, all that it pretty much essentially, I might have the odds to finish a little higher, a little lower, I should say. Um, but, uh, besides that, everything looks essentially right. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. So definitely some type of exposure if you're going to mass enter. And of course you got to be pretty contrarian here. If you want to take down, it's a pretty big tournament uh, this week. You know, they didn't, they had trouble filling the fight Island, the Khabib Gates ones because it was kind of an afternoon start time. And I think that took people back a little bit, you know, we're back to the uh, 10 Eastern kind of start time, regular pay-per-view time. And they've got a, uh, a big GPP with $150,000 as the top prize. So if you want a piece of that, uh, chances are you're going to need something weird to happen and you're going to need to uh, capitalize off that here and I definitely like Perez a little bit better uh, as far as uh, title fight underdogs than someone like Jennifer Maya. So we'll talk about that one next. Uh, we got, of course, Valentina Shevchenko, the champion, coming off a little bit of an injury, but it, which kind of delayed this fight a bit. But she's going to be taking on Jennifer Maya in the women's flyweight division. Shevchenko is the most expensive fighter on the card, and I would say rightfully so at 9,600. Uh, Maya is just 6,600. So if you punt that spot, then you, you can get yourself five favorites here. And the Vegas odds line right up with that. Shevchenko minus. 1400 last time I looked which is yesterday bringing it up again uh, coming back down to earth a little bit at minus 1300 in some of the more popular sports books but I'm also seeing her around minus 1700 at Caesars William H which is I know what the, the one the UFC tends to use a little bit so huge huge favorite this is basically even wider than like Rousey Holm or whatever when that happened of course I use that example because it's fun but uh, the odds to finish here are minus 260 I mean there's no question here that I'm that both of our picks is going to be Valentina Shevchenko she's just a class above in all aspects of the game uh, I would be willing to wager just about anything that this will be a unanimous selection uh, when it comes to the Rotowire contributor picks that we'll post here on Thursday. But the real question at this point is, yeah, Shevchenko is going to win, but you know, to get 11-12x on, on DraftKings, which you probably need for GPPs, I mean, you're going to need her to score 120, 130 points. And I, I don't know if the fight goes that long here. So uh, what do you think about Valentina at that price tag? 
it's a lot. It's it's we talk about this all the time. It's the ultimate risk because if for some reason it doesn't pay off, if the finish doesn't come as quickly or she takes one bad step and blows out her knee, you're finished. <laughs> so um, it's a risk. Um, it sounds terrible, but I'm, I'm going to go back to you know what I go with every time I see a fight like this. Um, if somebody is a minus fourteen hundred favorite, the fight just shouldn't be happening. Um, I find it impossible to believe that the UFC can't find a better option here. But this is essentially where the company is at with this division at this time. It's it's really non-existent, and the way this fight came about was funny. Um, Shevchenko was supposed to face Joanne Calderwood at UFC 250 in June. Um, Calderwood, uh, I'm sorry, Shevchenko was got hurt and could and was forced to withdraw. Yep. And Calder and JoJo could have just Calderwood could have sat on the sideline and waited until Shevchenko got healthy and still probably got her title shot. Um, she didn't. She wanted to stay active, and Maya stepped in for Shevchenko and fought Calderwood and beat her. So. Now here we are. Um, I really think – I don't think it's a stretch to say Shevchenko might – with Habib Nurmagomedov, you know, for all intents and purposes, at least for now, retired. Um, I really think Shevchenko is the most dominant fighter in the sport today, at least in, as, far as, as far as dominating her division. Mm-hmm. There is not anybody in this division who can come remotely close to her. Um, she is exceptional at everything. Um, you know, we rarely see her ground game. She's mostly just a Muay Thai fighter simply because she has the ability on the feet to overwhelm everybody she goes up against, but she's a complete all around mixed martial artist. And, um, you know, there's nothing in Maya's background that would lead me to believe that she can make this fight close. Um, Look, uh, you know, the Met Sarah over GSP, that was the example I used in my preview article. Um, those fights happen, and those results do happen, but, you know, they're called miracles, and they're once-in-a-lifetime for uh, results for for good reason. Um, it's really, really difficult to uh, envision any scenario in which Maya stays competitive here. Um, I tried to, I dig, dug a little deeper to try and find something as far as you know, maybe Maya's taller. She's not. Shevchenko is seven months older. They're the same age. Valentina is actually an inch taller and has a two-inch reach edge. So, you know, you really, really, really have to dig deep mm-hmm. to find uh, any path. I'm not even going to say a path to victory. Just any sort of path for Maya to keep this fight competitive. Um, and whether or not Shevchenko is of use to you in DraftKings at 9,600 – is pretty much the result of you know it's it's up to you as far as how what risk you're willing to take. Um, there's a such a there's such a good chance she's going to win and win quickly that I think you have to get a piece of her in some form or fashion. Um, but it, it, there's certain risk because if you use her in any lineup, you're going to have to find a bunch of underdogs, and obviously that makes it risky. You know, I'm, I'd always I'd much rather. Um, as far as Maya's perspective, I'd much rather spend the extra, what is it, six hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and take a shot on Perez as an underdog than I would Maya. This, it's just I know they don't. I, this division was made for, um, this division. It's just it's it's non-existent. It's really. Yeah, yeah, I it hear is, you. I don't have any. You know, it's tough to even come mm-hmm. up with anything. Yeah, exactly. There's there's nothing that really anybody, uh, you know, maybe we'll see if Jessica Andrade eventually challenges Valentina. She recently moved up a weight class. That one could be a little interesting. Valentina will have massive height and reach advantages, and we might actually see that one go to the ground. But yeah, this one's Valentina. All along here, I have to mention that Maya has also had her fair share of weight cutting issues in the past. She, of course, made weight for the Calderwood fight, but had previously missed weight for fights against Caitlin Chukagian. And there's one more in there um, th- that she missed weight here. Uh, I believe it was uh, Vivian Ar- Aruajo. No. Um, yep. Yeah, the opponent changed it. Never mind. But she's missed weight multiple times. And, uh, and of course, Maya finally got back on track there. Weigh-ins might be a mess. 
on on Friday morning. You're going to have to watch out for that if you make your DraftKings lineups earlier in the week. Though I imagine if anything were to happen with this fight, they would look earlier on the undercard to a fight we'll talk about in a little bit. Caitlin Chukagin, Cynthia Calvillo. Um, those two, uh, one of those, I'd imagine, would get the call. Um, probably Calvillo because she's coming off a win to challenge uh, Shevchenko, and I'm sure Shevchenko would have no problem with either of those opponents anyway. But let's quit hypotheticals for a second. Let's say this fight goes on its plan. Shevchenko, 9,600. Certainly don't mind using her, and uh, while it'll be tough to hit value at that price, uh, you definitely have to have a strong lean on some other underdogs if you want to go that way. Uh, For DraftKings purposes, you know, removing eye test aside, and you gave me blind fighters, uh, you maybe want to look at a guy like uh, Luis Cose, who was uh, recently on Contender Series. He is 9,300 instead of 9,600, and of course, you're chasing GPPs here. The Kosuke, uh he's fighting a newcomer, Sasha Polatnikov, in like the very first fight of the night, or one of the early ones, and... Um, yeah, you have a little bit of unknown risk here, but the numbers, um, you know, Kose has a better inside the distance prop. Uh, we have in the betting section of Rotowire MMA, we get um, like round by round props from a whole from four different sports books, and right now FanDuel is the only one that is up there. But according to the FanDuel sports book, uh, Kose is minus one eighty five to get a first round finish, and uh, Shevchenko is plus one thousand to get a first round finish, which. That seems a little bit wide to me, but uh, you know, nonetheless, you know, these props can get heavily influenced by a couple sharps coming in and moving those lines a little bit. So that's a, a wide enough gap for me. So, yeah, I mean, in your mass entry, you have some Shevchenko, but you probably want to be a little bit under the field and in, in chasing some of those finishing marks. I mean, Figueroa is the the same way here when it comes to that. I mean, obviously, the uh, Figueroa's uh, plus one ninety five to get it done in round one, and uh, you know that's on FanDuel. BetMGM has Figueroa at plus one ninety points. Bet another partner, you know, of ours is plus two twenty. So. Um, yeah, so I'd look to Figueroa over Shevchenko, save the 600 bucks, and hope for a better shot at the finish. So, um, I mean, the pick across the board here, Shevchenko, there's no doubt about that, but it's just a matter of can she get the 120, 130 DraftKings points you need to really cash in on this, and, and that's a tougher ask than just winning the fight for sure. It definitely is. Um, but again, if you make multiple lineups, you got to get a piece for somewhere because if she does get that quick win, it's it's something you got to have a piece of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the quick win, of course, would have to involve a knockdown or multiple knockdowns, maybe a maybe passing guard or something along that sort before getting the finish here, and maybe with some work on the feet before that to really kind of set all that up. Because um, yeah, there's you know you can win quick in the first thirty seconds, but sometimes winning in the four and a half mark is more advantageous for scoring, and and that's why we got such an interesting game of variance here. Let's move on though. Welterweight matchup here, setting up the title fights. Uh, someone everybody knows for good or bad reasons, Mike. Perry will be taking on Tim Means. Perry's 8,200 on DraftKings. Means is 8,000. So there's a lot, you know, there's a, the gap's much tighter here. Uh, Perry's a minus 150 betting favorite. That's still the case. The comeback back on Means, plus 130. Uh, odds to finish, minus 180. This one I was a little bit torn upon, John, but I'll let you go first. What's your take here? Yeah, I was too. Um, this was supposed to be Perry and Robbie Lawler. Um, Lawler got injured and uh, Tim Means stepped in. Uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear. We've seen enough from Mike Perry now. He's 12, 13, 13 fights with the company for over four years. He's got a seven and six record. Um, it's pretty clear Mike Perry is a one-dimensional boxer. Um, he has a bunch of power. Um, he's durable as all heck. Um, but his fight IQ is questionable, and he's the kind of guy who – um, is willing to eat two punch, willing to eat a punch in order to land two of his own. And when you start facing better competition, that just doesn't work. Um, it's you know, we say it all the time. Um, he's going up against a guy in Tim Means who um, is pretty inconsistent in his own right. Uh, Means is going to be 37 coming up. Alternated wins and losses in his past six fights. Um, Means. Can mix in a submission here and there. Um, they primarily came earlier in his career. Um, obviously, the one thing means advantage means has over Perry is the experience edge. He has twice more than twice as many pro fights. You know, means has been around a long time. He's fought Jorge Masvidal. He fought Neil Magny. He fought Matt Brown back when Matt Brown was good. Um, you know, so means has been in there with a bunch of guys. Um, this 
I would guess is going to be a kickboxing match. Um, I would favor Perry in that for two reasons. One being he has more knockout power. There's no doubt about that. And Perry is much more durable. I have a really hard time thinking that Means is going to come in and knock Perry out. Um, I think Perry's going to land plenty of his own offense. Um, you know, regular readers of, of our work on Rotowire will not, we you know, no, I'm no big Mike Perry supporter. I don't think he's, I don't think there's any long term winning streak coming up. Um, but this seems to be a pretty good matchup for him, at least on paper. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're in the means corner and he is a reasonable play at 8,000, um, he's bigger, um, he's longer. But I think Perry has much quicker hands, and again, it's the durability thing. I just I don't think if this is a stand-up fight, I don't think Means is going to be able to get Perry out of there quickly. And in a fight where I imagine both guys are going to land plenty of offense, that certainly favors the guy who's more durable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you here. I'm gonna I'm gonna go the other way though. I'm gonna go with Means on this fight. Uh, we'll start with you know kind of the slightly analytical part, and then I got there's a whole narrative based approach here that you have to go. Uh, first off, you mentioned the size difference. Perry being a a pure boxer here, he'll be going up against someone who's got four inches in height and four inches in reach on that. So, you know, Perry will have to work the body, work the uppercut, you know, do uh, do what he always does and, you know, make some sacrifices to get inside on someone like Means. Statistically, Means throws higher volume in terms of significant strikes landed per minute, 4.92 to 4.36. Uh, and the defense for Means is much better. Means actually has a positive striking differential of, you know, when you have, you take your significant strikes absorbed or landed minus those absorbed, you know, so Means only absorbs 3.53 while Perry's at 4.41. But you know that that fits inside with the whole narrative here. Uh, the real thing that gets me, though, is um, Mike Perry has had some uh, tax issues. Uh, and he's, you know, he's very frank and very blunt about that. He's, of course, had, you know, anger management. And there's all these other accusations that, you know, we can't, uh, it's all alleged for now. But he's admitted up front to, you know, having some problems, you know, saving for his taxes. So he's been trying to save a little money. And uh, last his last fight, he had nobody but his girlfriend in his corner. And, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, that's pretty smart. He, uh, he you know. A lot of like what fighters really listen to their corner anyway, you know, is, is kind of the people that supported that going. And it's going to be the same situation here. His girlfriend now pregnant will be in his corner. And according to um, Ariel Hawani, he has one other friend that has ne- just a longtime friend that hasn't been that isn't associated with the fight game. Here. So, so essentially he has no corner. He has no corner. Exactly. He has no corner. And, you know, that means he didn't. I mean, I'm sure he trained somewhere, but did he really pay for a fight camp of any way, shape or form? Didn't Darren Till offer to corner him? What happened with that? I, I don't know. That was something I think the, I think Dana maybe stepped in and shut that down a little bit. Uh, Darren Till was supposed to corner him. He was going to have Cam Soda send him two porn stars to corner him. I think that kind of got shut that down by his been, girlfriend. That funny. I, I mean, he was going to he was basically saying like. All right, whoever pays me the most money, I'll let them corner him, you know, kind of falling in line with this whole theme. And man, this is crazy entertaining for the fans as an aspect to see this, but I mean, okay, so he got by, he beat Mickey Gall and uh, you know, M- Mickey Gall, you know, I got enough respect for him his ground game, but as long as he's in a stand-up battle with Mike Perry, he got caught and you know, for what that's worth, Mickey Gall was knocked out by Diego Sanchez a couple fights ago, and you know, Perry had lost his two fights beforehand. Not that means is a massive massive step up in competition, but it for me it comes down to give me the guy who had a real training camp, who has real coaches in his corner over the guy that's just winging it to save, you know, 20 grand. So, um the narrative is enough for me to throw means in there. Uh, DraftKings wise, mean gets an he has enough volume to you know maybe think about uh, doing something good um, to get to getting enough scoring, even if he doesn't finish him. But you know, I, I'll I'll take the plus money guy, the underdog here against Perry, just because I don't think that system he's got going is going to work forever. No, it probably won't. But there are advantage plus and minuses to both guys. But no, you make a good point. He's certainly. We'll just say the way the good way to sum it up is, regardless of what happens, the way Mike Perry is going about this whole thing is unorthodox. Yes. So uh, we'll see how that works out for him. He hasn't quite went the Diego Sanchez full-on route and had a life guru in his corner, but it's definitely heading that way if he's going to auction up the corner spot. But yeah, okay. he's essentially coaching himself. Yes, exactly. And, you know, depending on some type of fighters, hey, maybe that works. You know, how he, he, if you asked him, he might say who really listens to the corner that much anyway. But 
Again, I'm, I'm skeptical here. Uh, let's move on, though. Women's flyweight matchup here. I think the narrative on this one is pretty straightforward, but we'll run it down for you here. Caitlin Chukagian, Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, Calvillo is a 8,700 on DraftKings. Chukagian, 7,500. Calvillo, minus 255. Come back on Chukagian, plus 215. I mentioned two fights with plus money odds to finish here. This is one of them, plus 240 odds to finish here. Calvillo, Chukagian. How do you see this one, John? Uh, another one fairly straightforward. Um I'm not big on Caitlin Trukagian. Um This is going to be her fourth fight of 2020, which, considering everything that's going on, is pretty impressive. Uh, it's going to be her fifth fight in just over 15 months. She fought Valentina Shevchenko for the UFC Women's Flyweight Championship, which should tell you about all you need to know about the division these days. Um, and then Trukagian, after fighting Valentina, um, defeated Valentina's younger sister, Antonina, who also fights Saturday. And then was quickly knocked out by Jennifer Maya in her most recent fight just last month. Um, Chukagian is comfortably in the top five of the division, and that says a lot more about the division than it does about Chukagian. Um, she's seven and four with the company. All seven victories have come via decision. She has no power and no ground game. Um, she's tall, five foot nine for the division, but. Um, she's also 30. She'll be 32 years of age in December. There's just not a whole lot going here. Um, on the other side, um, Calvillo at least is a little bit interesting. Um, she returned to flyweight this past June and took unanimous decision from Jessica. I, um, you know, eyes really weak in the standup and Calvillo's tough and always well conditioned. So that alone was enough for Calvillo to win that fight, and I'm fairly sure that was a five-round main event, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Yes, she put up over 130 DraftKings points in that one via four takedowns and 113 significant strikes landed. It was basically take her down and, and pound it out. I mean, eyes tough enough to not get finished, but uh, that was all Calvillo's fight, and it was pretty one-way. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, the the one thing you'll say about Chukagin here is that she's five inches taller and she has been in the octagon against significantly better competition. Um, I'm still not going to pick her. Uh, yeah. I'm going to take. I'm going to take Calvillo, and um, I have two main reasons. The first being Calvillo averages about one, about two, one, just under two, one point nine seven takedowns per fifteen minutes, which is a decent number. And then you go to the flip side, and Chukagin defense takedowns at just forty eight percent, which is terrifying. I could certainly see a scenario mm-hmm. in which Calvillo scores a couple of takedowns in the beginning of each round and just grinds Chukagin out on the ground. And then there is the flip side on that is Chukagin provides virtually no value at seventy five hundred simply because her style of fighting just isn't conducive to DraftKings production. Mm-hmm. Um, she average Calvillo is never going to be mistaken for an offensive juggernaut. But she averages 86.4 takedown, uh, 86.4 DraftKings points a fight. Chukagian somehow averages just 50.9 DraftKings points a fight. That is not going to get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm picking Calvillo. I think it's going to be pretty close to Calvillo. Unanimous from what I've seen as far as the staff picks coming in. Yeah, it's, it just all comes back to that 48% takedown defense for Chukagian by me. In her last fight, uh, steamrolled by Jessica Andrade, you know, taken down twice basically knocked out um the wrestling game you know might be getting a little bit better with chukagian given how she was able to take down antonina shevchenko three times but then she faced an actual wrestling based opponent like andraj and and basically got worked i think calvillo is going to work her too um you know in a hundred lineup situation you maybe consider a little calvillo exposure but I don't know. There's so many fights here that are expected to finish in this smaller cage. There are so many fighters with some big power in their hands. Um, maybe Calvillo can work a submission in or something and get a big score, in which case she might be an okay leverage play. But uh, I'm not big on her on DraftKings, despite picking her to win pretty clear cut. I mean, geez, it's just Shevche- or Chukagin's so, so tall. These these her opponents just kind of pin her legs together, and then it's just it's easier to tip her over. You know she's and she's a kind of a fun fighter to watch if you get someone that's going to just like stand up and kickbox with her. I mean her technique is there that that aspect of her game is you know approaching world class. But mixed martial arts, man, you got to be able to defend your takedowns and uh, 
that doesn't seem like it's going to be the case here. Uh, one more fight on the main card here to talk about. Uh, light heavyweight matchup, Shogun Hua, Paul Craig. Uh, for the life of me, I cannot understand why the UFC needed to run back this split draw from almost exactly one year ago. But here we are, Paul Craig, 8,500, Shogun 7,700, betting odds, Craig minus 165, comeback on Shogun plus 145. I didn't see this fight getting too close to a finish last time when it went all 15 minutes, but we've got odds to finish around minus 120. That might even out a little bit here. Um, this one is tough on paper. It should be Craig's fight, but can the old vet get a upset here at the age of 39? Uh, I think he can. Um, and you pretty much you answered your own question. They're running it back because there was a draw the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, and I, I think I think it's more the the fact that. You know, neither guy has a whole heck of a lot going on, and they just thought, why the heck not? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start with Shogun because I'm taking him in an upset. Uh, Shogun is somehow 5-1-1 one, and one in his past seven fights, which is mind-boggling. Um, it's ugly. You know, they're rarely pretty victories. Um, his most recent bout in July, he fought Lil Nog in Nog's retirement bout, and he won via split decision. Um, it wasn't pretty. Um Shogun it will be 39 just four days after this event. So, what, this time next week? So he's essentially 39. Um, Shogun's a stand-up fighter, has been his entire career. Um, he still has a little bit of power in his hands. But sure. um, like like most older guys, the footwork has evaporated, and he has difficulty getting his head off the center line, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, like I mentioned, he is 5-1-1 one, one in his past seven I'd be willing to bet a significant amount that the next seven fights go worse than the prior seven. Mm-hmm. But again, neither of these guys have a whole heck of a lot going on, so I, I can understand the rematch, I guess. Um, if you want to look at Paul Craig, um, essentially the opposite of Shogun. He's been with the UFC for about four years. Record's barely above 500, 5-4-1. Five, um, the opposite of Shogun in the sense that Craig's entire offensive arsenal is based on the mat. He has 12 career submission wins. Um, he has very, very little power, and he has a questionable chin. So you would theoretically think any prolonged kickboxing match would favor Shogun, but uh, Craig actually did surprisingly well on the feet in the first fight between these two guys. Um, I thought Shogun actually won that f- the first one, but it was close. Um, but uh, you would think Shogun should have an edge in the stand-up. Um, I ended up taking Shogun essentially because... I just thought the value was right. This is more or less a pick 'em for me, and for some reason, Craig is eight hundred dollars more on DraftKings than Shogun. So, I figured, what the heck? Um, I just thought the value looked right. And when you're looking at a striker versus, uh, you know, Matt specialist type situation, I usually take the striker simply because it's easier to predict a knockout than it is to predict a submission. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So this one, you know. I think I'm going to stay away from on DraftKings entirely because we have a whole full 15 minutes of sample size to see what these guys do. And if there's not a finish in this fight, it's not going to be high scoring. You know, the last significant strike total was 51 for Paul Craig to 25 for Shogun. Sure, you could argue that uh, Shogun's did a little bit more damage. Of course, you know, that's how some of the judges saw it. Um, but, you know, even if you take the best score out of that and, and give them the decision bonus, you know, you've got to take down for each of them. So you're looking at, I don't know, 25 for striking, 30 throw on the takedown, probably a couple advances in there. You know, you're looking at 60, 70 points for the winner. Uh, that's not going to get you. That's not going to get you anywhere on DraftKings, especially uh, 8,500. Um, so I see where you're coming from. If you got to go somebody, uh, maybe take the underdog and, and ride with Shogun and see what happens. But I just think, I mean, there's seven years apart or six years apart, basically, um, at this stage of the career, you know, it's going to affect the 39-year-old a little bit more than the 33-year-old. If the last fight was a draw where Craig was out was outlanding him that much, um, I just I don't see how Shogun goes and improves upon this uh, performance steadily. I mean, he fought uh, Rogerio Noguera in his last fight. Um was a, he won the decision, but it was a split decision, and it went all 15 minutes. You know, the fact that you can't put away uh, Lil Nog at this stage in his career is a little bit concerning to me. So I don't know if Shogun necessarily gets the win and or gets the finish. And even if he does 
doesn't get the finish, like you're just not looking at a high volume scoring. So this probably this is one that you know not so much for me on DraftKings. I'm picking Craig because of the, some of those intangible factors I mentioned below. I don't feel great about it. It's a tight, low scoring fight, and probably one that I'll be staying away from. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I don't think there's. You know, this probably, to be, if we're being honest, probably shouldn't be on the main card of the pay-per-view. It's just, it's a fight with just little upside from any kind of ranking standpoint or whatever, and it would appear, at least on the on the surface, to have a pretty wide range of outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one fight I wanted to talk about that I was surprised uh, didn't quite make the pay-per-view. Uh, it's another flyweight. You know, we've got a couple. Of, there's a f- couple of flyweight women's fight, and there's at least this one men's fight on the undercard here. You know, good insurance policies for the main event, I guess you could say. But so when Figueiredo was supposed to fight Garbrandt, um, Alex Perez came in and took Brand- uh, Garbrandt's place. Alex Perez was supposed to fight Brandon Moreno uh, on this card, and you know that was basically there to determine the next flyweight contender. Moreno had picked up back-to-back wins against Kai Kara France and the since uh, released Juicier Formiga. And uh, so we had Brandon Royville now come in to uh, to take the place of Perez and fight Moreno. Brandon Royville, relative newcomer, 2-0 in the UFC. This is one that for me, John, and I think I, if I remember correctly, you might have the upset too. Uh, Royville is 7,600 on DraftKings. Uh, Moreno's up there a little bit at 8,600, and I, I'm seeing a lot more value on Royville. I'm with you. Um, this is probably the fight. Of, I mean, actually, even if, maybe even if you take into account the main event and co-main event, this is certainly one of the more entertaining fights on the card, and it's one of the fights on the card other than the title fights that actually has a legitimate chance to impact the t- uh, title picture. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at Brandon Moreno, like you mentioned, he was supposed to face Alex Perez. Um, I never viewed Moreno as a legitimate title contender simply because of the lack of power in his hands. I mentioned Figueiredo earlier and how one of the things that makes me very optimistic about him moving forward is the kind of power in his hands. Um, Moreno does not have that power. Um, in 23 career fights, he has two knockdown, two knockout wins, which, quite honestly, just isn't enough um, to be considered, you know, a true contender. Uh, he's a pretty decent wrestler. 1.75 takedowns per 15 minutes, um, 10 career submission victories. But I can't help but think that if he ended up, if he ever did end up fighting a guy like Figueiredo, he would get overwhelmed on the feet. Um, I think a good portion of Moreno's future value. Um, is tied to the fact he's to, he won't be 27 years old until next month. So I think that's that's probably the main thing he has going for him. Um, Royville is in a good spot here. Um, this is a guy who's been with the UFC for less than six months. Um, he made his UFC debut in May as a late, really late notice replacement and submitted Tim Elliott. Royville looked really, really bad in that fight, which he admitted um, he ended up pulling out the submission, but uh, he didn't look good at all. Um, late September was the second fight against Kaikar France, who you previously mentioned. Royville got a full camp in that for that fight, looked much better, mm-hmm. and obviously won that too. Yeah. Um, I think he has a little more power. Um, I think, obviously, we have a bit more sample size on Moreno. Um, I Obviously, our sample size on Royville is all of about six minutes. Mm-hmm. Um even if you don't want to take Royville out, I'm going to take Royville outright. But even if you don't, uh, I think he's a definitely a decent value at 7,600. He's proven he can fight. He's had a full camp here. Um, maybe not a full camp, but certainly the Perez-Garbrandt switch was made quite a while ago. He's not taking this fight on a couple weeks' notice. Mm-hmm. So he, he's had a decent amount of time. And um, you know I think he has a pretty decent chance to pull in the upset. But this is one of the, the rare fights on this card that actually has a legitimate chance to impact some kind of title picture. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, you know, after the Elliott fight, I remember very vividly watching the Royal Elliott fight and Elliott just coming out and working him in the first round. And I didn't never thought that highly of Elliott. And then Royal kind of, you know, snuck away and got the submission. So we got the win. So I, I mean, myself and very many staff members, you know, except for a shout out to Joe, um, we all picked Kara France in that fight. We're like, oh, city kickboxing. You know, those guys have been, you know, just on, on a crazy tear, pretty undefeated lately. Um, you know, we picked Kai Kara France, and Brandon Royville was dominant there. It was night and day. So um, I'm just seeing the, tra- the trajectory that Royville's on seems to have him 
clashing with a title fight at some point, maybe towards the end of 2021, if he can keep this up. So, yeah, I like him there. Um, is there anybody else on the card that really stood out to you as, as guys that could help you get, you know, Shevchenko, Figuero, Kose, who, however you want to do this? Uh, anybody else on the card that, you know, could possibly help you free up some space, or was there not really anyone that jumped out too much? I guess there were two I, I thought were worth mentioning. One it was Jared Gooden against Alan Joban. Um, mm-hmm. Gooden is seventy nine hundred. Joban is eighty three hundred. Um, the one thing about Joban is he's a big, strong guy, as we all know, but he gets hit a lot. He always has. Um, kind of a brawler, not the best stand up defense. So maybe Gooden can take advantage of that. And the other one I I, I picked out is Nicholas Dalby against Daniel Rodriguez. Um, Dalby is certainly an underdog, uh, 7,100. Rodriguez is 9,100. Dalby's plus 265. Rodriguez is minus 310. But um, Dalby is actually pretty good. He's probably a little bit better than those odds would indicate. He's shown pretty well in his UFC career. He's getting up there. He turned 36 years old last week. But he has a win over Cowboy Oliveira. Um, he back in the day in his, his first UFC run, he took a split decision from Elizabeth Zaleski Dos Santos. He actually fought Darren Till to a majority draw. So Ooh. he's yeah, I'll fight Till to a draw back in the yeah. day. So you know he he uh, look would I pick him out right? No, but if you're trying to work a guy in your lineup at seventy one hundred, I think there are worse bets. Yeah. Yeah, I might have overlooked this because, you know, all, all I can remember lately is is Daniel Rodriguez, you know, kind of rolling through Dwight Grant. I guess Gabriel Green was a decision. Tim Means, he knocked out. So, um, you know, my recent memory of Daniel Rodriguez, D-Rod, is like, oh, man, you know, that's tough. He's got that weird 10th planet jiu-jitsu uh, kind of technique rolling for him, so he's creative. But, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, I can maybe get on board with that in a small percentage of lineups there. Uh, and I'm with you on Gooden, too, because I think you're going to see some line value here maybe Gooden's plus 125 at 7900 so that's kind of right but I don't know might see these guys uh at weigh-ins I mean Gooden is six foot four himself uh so you know we mentioned Joe Bain's a big strong guy but Gooden you know right there with him Gooden's only 26 years old Joe Bain's 37 years old and so I mean there's a big difference there um Again, it's not like the, the odds are too far apart there, but um, I, yeah, I think I'd look after Derek Gooden a little bit. It just seems like, uh, I don't know, Alan Jobain I've always thought of as, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more of a male model than than a fighter, especially of late, losing three out of his last four. I mean, he beat Ben Saunders, who everybody has, lost to Dwight Grant, lost to Nico Price. That's a respectable loss. Lost to Gunnar Nelson, beat Mike Perry. I mean, he's beaten some good guys. Blau he has. He on there. doesn't fight much. Yeah, exactly. So he's very much, it'll be pretty much a year and a half since he last fought and uh you know looking at good in here he's it's his ufc debut uh he fought in july with titan fc fought in february with empire fighting championship uh so he's been definitely more active younger fighter more active actually a bigger fighter which is rare i guess we'll have to watch him on the skills then um but but yeah overall it just seems like Gooden could be a guy that frees up some celery for you i love 7900 that works for me um that's going to about do it for the card. Anything else you got to add on this one? No, you know, you know, if we're being honest, this is a little bit thinner than we're used to, but, um, you know, you got a couple title fights and I mm-hmm. think you might get some decent, you know, obviously not title impacting on fights on the undercard, but I think there are some pretty decent, uh, you know, brawling type fights on the undercard where you should get some action. I gotcha. Well, here, you can hear that? That's me knocking on wood, hoping everything holds up here uh, for weigh-ins and for everything at UFC Las Vegas. Been a little bit of a mess lately, but hopefully we can keep these title fights together. Uh, thanks again for listening, then, to the Rotowire MMA podcast brought to you by ESPN+, Plus, the exclusive home of UFC 255. Once again, he's John Litterin. You can follow him on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. I'm Jake Litarski. Follow me at RotoJake. Uh, we got a good one to come back to in December, December 12th, UFC 256. You know, we lose Megan, Megan Anderson and Amanda Nunes, but we get Piotr Jan and Aljamain Sterling on December 12th. That's an excellent fight. I can't wait to talk about that with you, John. Yeah, that should be a good one. That's only, what, three weeks away or so. It's getting there. Yeah, holiday season, fight season as well. Thanks again then for listening, everyone. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. 
So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.